Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now you're starting to see um, some calls for boycotts. The MLB Players Union uh, executive Tony Clark has said that the union would uh, open discussions to moving the MLB All-Star game from Atlanta. Uh, We should note that it's just discussions about having discussions. Nobody has has yet moved towards let's pull the game out. It's going to take things like the MLB not just having discussions about having discussions, but actually having discussions about what are we going to do here? Because if you start to allow the faucet to drip, it's going to start really leaking. And so you want to nip things off at the bud so that Georgia government in general can understand that, hey, what happened this last election was not a fluke. We do want things to change here. Don't try to slide bills under under the nose and think that it's going to be okay. Like, I think people have to really take a stance. A historic run for the Pac-12 in the NCAA men's tournament on the women's side. The Pagebreakers Caitlin Clark showdown turned into a Kristen Williams showcase as three number ones make the Elite Eight. Tate Frazier of Titus and Tate will be here to talk about it. The busiest NBA trade deadline in 35 years just went down, and that led to a robust buyout market, which sent lots of faces to several new places. The Georgia GOP strikes back. New restricting voting laws have been enacted in the state of Georgia. Taylor Rooks joins us, plus Take Survivor, on this new episode of Take Line. I am Jason Concepcion. I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's go! Renee, how was your week? What have you been up to? What have I been up to in March? Um, Watching a lot of basketball, just like everyone yeah. else, and I actually... I actually had a day off one Saturday to literally watch all the basketball that I wanted to watch. So, you know, first up, I watched my Huskies get another dub. Uh, Kristen Williams, Avina Westbrook came to ball. Um, Olivia Nelson Adota came to ball. Paige came to ball. But really, Kristen, man, shouts to Kristen. She came to ball. Yeah. What's up with you, Jason? What was you doing this weekend? I was uh, watching a ton of basketball, just like you. I was watching, uh, for those of you who've been following uh, local L.A. news, there was uh, an action to evict the unhoused uh, community at Echo Park Lake. I watched that happen from a couple of blocks over because I live in the area. And then I just been watching basketball, following, uh, following basketball. Uh, watched uh, Paige versus Caitlin Clark. As you mentioned, it turned into uh, a, a showcase for Westbrook and for Kristen Williams. They just absolutely cut up that zone, cut up that zone. Took over. And not even just on the offensive end. Yes. The reason that I keep shouting out Kristen Williams is because like MVP, she killed it because she was the one guarding Caitlin Clark. So we talk a lot about Caitlin Clark and how she struggled some that game. Mm-hmm. Kristen Williams was the one guarding her on the one end and Kristen Williams was the one slicing and dicing on offense. So that's why I keep on saying Kristen Williams, because man, Kristen Williams, have yourself a game. Woo. 
Yeah, that was fun. Uh, you're more versed in this world than I am, but I got to tell you, I yeah. like fell in love with Louisville. I, I love an underdog. I love Dana okay. Evans. I love a scrappy point guard that is just going to like run at you and run at you and run at you or shots uh, a little bit shaky, but like she is nonstop energizer bunny battery pack, like on her back. Yeah. Uh, absolutely Definitely. fun to watch. Uh, I loved watching uh, on the men's side of UCLA and Alabama. That was a wild game. A that wild was game. A wild. It's so great. Listen, it's great to have the tournament back. It's the yeah. the emotions, all of it, the upsets, particularly on the men's side, of course. But I feel like I was like, what's the one? Is it red pill? The one that wakes you up? The red pill? I forget which it is. Oh, I guess I was blue red pill. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like I. I ate the red pill watching that game because I was like, I watched it. And then I was like, wait, have all the games been kind of like boring before this? Because like th this was incredibly fun. UCLA. Yeah. Um, listen, if Alabama hits their free throws, it's a different story. Yeah. Okay. But completely different, completely different, sto completely different story we're not talking about ucla we're not talking about the pac-12 in quite the same way but super fun game i can't believe they didn't foul at the end of the game reese hits the <laughs> the monster three to send it into overtime Boy, but they did they did end up winning uh again super fun team when when the buzzer sounded on it somebody close by in my neighborhood like fired five shots in the air people were like i Yo, put I that saw I saw people on Twitter were like, wait, are you sure? It, maybe it was fireworks. I'll tell you right now, it was not. And I'll tell you how I know it was not was one, the rhythm and how they went off. It wasn't like, what it, it wasn't what like, it wasn't like fireworks in the way that fireworks go off. It was like, cuck, 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 yeah. and it was like, and I'm dead serious about this. It was right when the buzzer went off. Like it was not timed oh, wow. in the kind of way that you could have timed fireworks. It just went off. So uh, L.A. was So they excited. were ready. They, they were, were ready. ready. They were ready for UCLA to, to advance. They were ready for USC to advance. A really, just really, really fun uh, weekend of basketball. I, I expect UCLA to get throttled by Michigan. That said, I enjoyed it. Best game uh, of the tournament for me thus far. Can't wait for what's next. I can't wait. Uh, we're going to have our good friend Tate Frazier join us to talk some tournament. Okay, with all this college hoops talk, we decided to bring in one of my uh, good friends, the legend himself, Tate Frazier, one half of Titus and Tate. Uh, he is, of course, the co-host of the Titus and Tate podcast. Tate Frazier, how are you? How's your tournament been? I will say this. It has been a whirlwind, to say the least, but it is an honor to be on the show very early in the take line history of things. So it does feel like an <laughs> honor, and uh, it's great to be with both of you. And uh, you ask about the tournament. It's not been going great for me. A guy who picked <laughs> Illinois to win the championship, a guy who believed in Big Ten basketball. Uh, but otherwise, all, all things are going well, guys. Great way to start this. Uh, how did everybody get the Pac-12 wrong? Whew, that is a uh, that that is a long winded uh, you know question for me to answer. I think the short of it is you know simply America. We have denied West Coast basketball. We have ignored it for as long as we can. Bill Walton goes on ESPN every year. He says it's the best conference in basketball. It's the conference of champions. And uh, America right. says get it out of my face. Uh, they don't win in March. <laughs> and this year, 
They're doing it, Jason, and they're doing it in Indiana, which makes no sense, but uh, it's happening and I'm enjoying it. I'm just curious. Do you think that this year was more madness than normal? And I say that because a lot of people are talking about because the season just was so inconsistent throughout. Do you think that that added to the madness of March? Like, did that like add fuel to it? I think there was a mystery right around it. I think a lot of times we have interconference play. We see teams kind of stack up and you have an idea of what is actually the best conference. Mm -hmm. And this year we let the media, you know, people like myself dictate those terms. And the media said that the Big Ten was the best conference. We, we, you know, when a bad team in the Big Ten beat a good team, we moved that team up and said, hey, Wisconsin's a lot better than we thought they were. In the Pac-12, you know, Oregon loses a, loses to Oregon State. We knocked them down out of the top 25. And I think it just compounded over time. And uh, when we got to the actual tournament, the Pac-12 guys have a huge chip on their shoulder. They say, we're just as good as these guys are. We are also five stars. We also want to play in the NBA, in case you haven't heard. And uh, <laughs> we're going to take your lunch. And uh, I think that's what's more happened uh than not you know throughout this tournament and uh, that's been fun to see just looking around at sports in general and the world in general it really feels like this is such a weird year yes. uh, the effects of covid um and covid protocols on various sports have it seems to me uh created a lot of strange results you have like two centers in the mvp race if if <laughs> if a center wins the M- nba mvp it'll be the first time since shaq yep. uh you've got uh, the knicks being good you've got no uh, no one in in the ap poll uh picking any Pac-12 team in a top 20, and then here they are. You've got UCLA and USC at this stage at the same time, basically in the first time in history. How much of that is influencing what we're seeing now? I I do think there is a level of, you know, when we talk about a UCLA or a USC or an Oregon State, these teams are obviously hot at the right time. And I know that sounds really stupid to say, but that's kind of what we're dealing with. I mean, UCLA lost four games going into the tournament. Yeah, Yeah. and and they could have won all four of those games. Like, that's the flip side of it. You know, all those games were close. I mean, if Jules Bernard makes a free throw in the first round of the Pac-12 championship, Oregon State gets knocked out. And they're not even in the tournament, right? Like, you know, that's how weird of of a domino effect we're dealing with. And I do think UCLA was, the writing was on the wall that Mick Cronin was going to figure it out. And I think he's ahead of schedule now. Um, I think this team is the perfect Mick Cronin type of team. Team that is, you know, we have offensive weapons in a Johnny Juzang. We have a real guard in Tiger Campbell who can kind of set pace and score and get things going uh, for us, make sure we're okay. And then you have, they've stepped it up on defense, which has been the real calling card for this team in the actual tournament. Uh, USC has the number one pick in my mind, Evan Mobley. I know America thinks Kate Cunningham is the number one pick. I think Mobley's the number one pick. I think... It is playing out, and when they play Gonzaga and he dominates Drew Timmy, America will say, I think I know who the number one pick is. Uh, He's right there. Um, And I think that's a little bit, you know, people have dismissed Mobley uh, maybe or, or haven't taken him to account as much as they should have. And that's why USC is there at Oregon State. Wayne Tinkle's done a great job. Give them credit. But I am still shocked that they're in the Elite Eight. And when you say that, I still almost don't believe it. So I, I, uh, I, I will give them their credit. Okay, so Tate, I know you're a Tar Heel. Yes. And I'm used to that meaning a lot. 
yes, and this everything. year, <laughs> this year, you guys got knocked out by Wisconsin. This is not the normal UNC way. What's going on? What's going on over there with your Tar Heels? Renee, you're making a great point. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I <laughs> what, what's happening is that, you know, we had guys like Kobe White, you know, who comes yeah. to North Carolina. We yeah. expect him to stay maybe two years. And the NBA, I blame the NBA, right? The, you uh, expect him to stay two years? Wait, I, do y'all really <laughs> expect your good players? Now, this is, you might have heard it here first. Do you all really expect your good players to stay more than one year? Look, look, look. Renee, I'll explain it like this. So, so I, I, you know, I grew up and I watched Marvin Williams come off the bench and win a championship in 2005. That's like mm-hmm. my, my seminal moment in time where I say, wow, you sacrifice for the greater good. We win the championship and, <laughs> and, and we win the championship and you go number two in the draft and, you know, everyone's happy. So that's what it's blinded by. Kobe, I understood why Kobe had to leave. I was so happy when he went and was a lottery pick. I was so happy for Cam Johnson yeah. as well. This year, Dayron Sharp, you know, he, he's our guy. He's going to go to the league. I, I was told by, you know, the bloggers that small ball was everything the NBA cared about. So I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> this seven-footer is okay. They, they don't want seven-footers anymore. He wants to stay and, and develop his game. There's oh, nowhere for him to go. somebody lied to you. They lied to me. They want seven-footers. They want seven-footers, but they want the seven-footers to move like a guard, to shoot yeah. like yeah. a guard, to behave yeah. like a guard. So don't let them fool you. They want the seven-footers, but yeah. they want an international style where – they can do guard things. Which is why Gonzaga owns college basketball because Gonzaga, watched, they, they watch FIBA basketball and Mark Few said, hey, I like the way that they play. I think that's going to translate into the future yep. basketball. And now you yep. have guys like Walker Kessler, who was at Carolina, and says, hey, I want to transfer to Gonzaga. Yeah. Wow. I'm hurt, Renee, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Not to open up any wounds. Yeah. I mean, it must give you some solace that, uh, you know, <laughs> Some real, it's some of the titans of college basketball were uh, very shaky. It's not just yep. UNC this year. Obviously, Duke not around, Kentucky not around. Does that give you some amount of solace in this? You're not. <laughs> Does sure. that make it's you not, feel better? <laughs> yeah, it's not just. It's just not just the Tar Heels alone that must mm-hmm. bear this burden. It does feel like, you know, in high school when you fail a test and you go home and you tell your parents and you're like, everyone in the class failed. And they're like, I don't care about everyone in the class. You know, I care about you. And uh, that's what Carolina basketball is a little bit like this year. Like I've had a lot of Duke fans, Kentucky fans, like you said, Kansas fans, even after they lost reach out to me and say it's a Mickey Mouse tournament. That's what everyone is calling it. <laughs> Keep, uh, that's right. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. That, 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 you guys that, have been hitting that hard. The Mickey Mouse tournament. <laughs> my, my favorite thing to say about a tournament that has nothing to do with Mickey Mouse and also confuses people that don't know the NBA, you know, trolls that say that. Um, but in general, I think the blue bloods have gotten together. We're going to have dinner with each other. We're going to, you know, try to try to get reacclimated with this new world. And uh, Gonzaga, I think, is the uh, the new blood is what they're calling it. So uh, it's the new blood versus mm. the blue bloods and the blue bloods are struggling. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So obviously we're, we're taping this on a Monday, a mm-hmm. bunch of games happening uh, by the time this podcast hits the air. Uh Predictions, though. Any predictions? You want to give us any predictions on either side of the uh, men's or women's brackets? What are you, what yeah. are you seeing? Yeah, I uh, I will say this. I am like a uh, – I'll start with the women's side. I am like a Dawn Staley apologist. Like, I, mm-hmm. I love Dawn Staley. Ah, I love South Carolina like basketball. It. Yeah, there's a lot of people that assume that I'm a North Carolina guy, so therefore I hate South Carolina. But forget – 
That for they all forget that Frank McGuire, my guy who came from St. John's, went to North Carolina, then he got ran out of town for Dean Smith, and then he went to South Carolina. And I still supported Coach McGuire. I like Coach Martin. Uh Asia Wilson's one of my favorite modern, you know, women's basketball Shouts players. To Asia. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, 2017, North Carolina wins the title. South Carolina women's team wins the title. That was a special year for basketball for me. So the South Carolina side, I'm pulling for them. Texas scares me, though, I should say that. Um, that that's going to be what they call a bad matchup uh, in the business. But uh, and then and then and then on the other side of the men's side, Gonzaga. It's Gonzaga's title to win if they go thirty-two and zero in Bob Knight's yeah. backyard in Indiana, first time since nineteen seventy-six. I mean the history, Imagine. the implication. Yeah, it, it's it's very cool. So I, I think Baylor Gonzaga is my title game. I think Gonzaga makes history. Um, and uh, you know, uh, fingers crossed, South Carolina basketball. I'm pulling for you. I love it. I, listen, I I love that you are in tune with the women's game, but yep. I'm going to just, I'm going to just sit like, <laughs> okay, hey, you know, I, I would just. <laughs> I, 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 look, UConn's too good. Like, I, I, I can't mean, even pull for them. You know, it's like I, Barcelona soccer or something. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for them when they win, but like, I can't, I can't be doing? a fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, Tate, thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you guys so much. This has been a lot of fun. Listen, NBA trade deadline was hot. It was lit. It was, uh, as I understand it, the busiest trade deadline in 35 years, 16 trades, 23 teams, 46 roster players, a lot of movement. Then after that, the buyout market was as hot as I've ever uh, seen it. it yeah. you know, usually we're not talking about the buyout market in the way that uh, we talked about it this year with LaMarcus Aldridge moving, with Andre Drummond moving. Uh, any thoughts about uh, the trades that, that happened last week? Yeah, my thoughts are I feel bad because – a lot of times the trade <laughs> deadline, while for fans, it's so exciting. But my first thought is Lou Williams post. He said he almost quit basketball. Yeah. Wow. Like, like think about that. And I've been I've been traded midseason before too. So I know that feeling. And so trade deadlines, like even like as as like a former player now, I used to hate trade deadlines. I used to like want them to come and pass so quickly. Even before I ever got traded, I wanted them to come and pass because you got to think about it. You're connected to your teammates. You're connected yeah. to your coaches. Lou Will could have had plans that weekend with the homies. And then it's just all of a sudden, like, we're here in Atlanta. Like, hey, when, when's Lou going to yeah. be here? And I'm like, you know, it's, it's so for me, trade deadlines is always when I see 16 trades, 23 teams, 46 roster players. I'm like, man, that's a lot of people affected. Like, that, that's what I think. And I know it's the business of sports, but I'm always going to be an athlete. So that's my first thought. Would you tell people, don't text me on trade deadline day because I just don't want to <laughs> see my phone, like, lighting up at all? Like, what would you, what was your relationship to your, to your phone during that time? Yeah, it was, it's scary because you, you don't want any text. So when you check your phone, <laughs> if your phone, I keep my phone on silent at all times, yeah. first of all, but Right when you see it light up, you're like, who is it? Oh, okay, it's just it's just my sister or it's just my cousin. But you don't you just don't want to see that text. And then for some players, you do. So some players, they want to get out of their situation. But a lot of times as a player, you become so invested in that city, that team. I mean, Lou Will, like, laid it out in his post. He talked about he gave his blood, sweat, and tears to L.A. to yeah. wake up from a nap and find out he's a part of the Atlanta Hawks now. So just so people to put it in perspective for the athletes – I know that people are going to say, oh, they make a million dollars. Of course, you can move from team to team. But again, athletes have feelings. I don't, it's hard for people to comprehend that. 
but athletes have real emotions. The other thing is, listen, I know the vaccines are rolling out. We're still in COVID times. That's the other thing that makes this really complicated and, and really fraught, actually, because you know, moving around the country is stressful in the best of times. It is extremely stressful now uh, as, exactly. you know, COVID-19 continues to be out there. Uh, it's just not a fun, a fun situation. You mentioned that trade. And just for people that have a hard time understanding, imagine that if right now your boss said, hey, we're relocating you to the other coast. So if you're on the West Coast, your right. boss says, hey, you're leaving L.A. You're now going to be working from Atlanta. Oh, by the way, you need to do it in three days. I mean, just imagine if your boss said that to you. I think the union would probably throw a fit. You would probably want people to know about it. If they told you you don't have a choice, that's your job. So just to put it in perspective, and again, I know it's part of business, but I always want to say that. I also want to say thank you for freeing Andre Drummond. My goodness, it has been a century uh, he last played March 12th, missed 16 straight games. Wow. Literally healthy as can be, was just sitting on the sidelines waiting to be used. So I'm glad they freed Andre Drummond. So the Lakers picked up Andre Drummond on the buyout market. He agreed to a buyout with the Cavaliers. He's averaging 17 and about 13 and a half rebounds this season. Uh, Chris Herring over at Sports Illustrated had a really interesting article about rebounding and its value in the modern game. Uh, You know, it's been, uh, I think, people kind of know that offensive rebounding has been a thing that has kind of been eschewed by basketball uh, strategists in recent years. It's more important to get back and, and, and cover defensively, but you know, you've got Andre Drummond who's basically the best uh, rebounder in the game has now uh, been bought out. I think that they're, you know, the way things ended in Detroit and now Cleveland, he's a player who for all the numbers, it's tough to see, how he fits into a winning scheme. I I do think that LA is the perfect place for him because LeBron James has proved that if you're a player who needs to figure out how to win, maybe has a shaky reputation for whatever reason, uh, you know, J.R. Smith, hello, uh, Dwight Howard, that if you play next to LeBron, it becomes crystal clear because he will tell you what your role is. It, yeah. it will be clear from playing within that scheme what you need to do. So Andre Drummond, can you just like rebound, block shots, play defense? That's what we need you to do. More interesting is like what happens to Gasol now. But I think uh, I think that's the perfect place for Andre Drummond going forward is the Lakers. Yeah, and uh, I think you hit it. LeBron won championship with Golden State Warriors, so he had already started on the right path. But I can just remember his his maturation process. And then when you see him with the Lakers, I mean, he was a very good role player, like solid. You didn't see any of the the shacked in the full moments that you might have seen in the past. Yeah. Like he was like a <laughs> solid player that when he came in the game, I was like, oh, Javel's in. You better look out. So yeah, to that point, LeBron makes players around him better. Exactly. We'll be right back after this. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And we're back. So last week, uh, Brian Kemp, governor of Georgia, signed a voting bill into law real quick after it was passed by the uh, state legislature and engineered by uh, Republicans in the state. Uh, SB 202, off the bat, it's easy to see that it, it limits access to the voting booth for voters of color. It is specifically aimed at voters of color who, of course, um, swung the runoff election uh, for the Democrats with electing uh, two Democratic senators from that state. Uh, There's already been two lawsuits filed against the bill. This comes at a time as Democrats are making a push to pass voting reform with H.R. 1, uh, the For the People Act. Renee, you are, of course, from the area. You live in Atlanta. Your thoughts about the bill and how people should be discussing it, how we should be trying to fight against it. Yeah, you know, this bill is obviously a reaction to what happened this past election. Yes. You know, this past election, yes. everything that happened this past election, you can see it in the bill. Voters, there were 1.3 million voters that used the option of voting by absentee by mail, right? So, of course, they're going to address that. Now, voters need either a driver's license, state ID number, or if they don't have those, a copy of an acceptable voter ID they're trying to make the paperwork difficult so that maybe if people don't have right. it, they might not just bother. So to me, it's very reactionary. Of course, I don't support a bill like that. Just by even putting this bill out, I, like four years ago, I don't necessarily know if people would have been as up in arms just because there was this yeah. awakening moment in 2020 where people were like, what is really going on with the government? And then when people started to dive deeper and deeper and what's really going on, People didn't necessarily like it. This SB 202 Election Integrity Act of 2021, that's what it's called. We don't like it. Like, I don't know how else to put it, but we don't like it because obviously it's trying to stop empowerment. I mean, voter empowerment. This is like the standard voter suppression bill. Now, in in the run up to this, it seemed like it was going to be the bill is very bad. It seemed like it was going to be a lot worse. There was some stuff rumored to be in there that would target uh, specifically the souls to the polls organizing and really try and stamp that down. But, uh, you know, the stuff that's in there is pretty bad. One of the stipulations is that now only official poll workers can pass out food and water within 100 feet of a building that serves as a poll yeah, so you know, obviously they're they're cutting down on the areas, specifically in Black communities where people can vote. Uh, the lines already last, you know, for the last national election were extremely long. People are waiting, waiting, waiting in line. So people are handing out food and water. And now, in theory, someone who is not a poll worker who hands out bottles of water to people waiting in line could be charged could actually be charged with giving people water, people who are waiting in line to cast votes. Unbelievable. And that was like my whole thing. Me, myself, I could be charged. Like, And the reason I say that was my whole thing, that's what I did all like 
2020. I started out by handing waters, which is kind of what people saw me doing in the very beginning. Then I threw a pop-up blog party. But the reason that even when it came to the polls and stuff, the reason that people started to hand out waters and hand out food was because the lines were so long that you wanted to almost encourage people to stay. You make it fun. You give them drinks and refreshments, give them a snacky. Yeah. But when you see stuff like that, you can see that they're trying to take the joy out of what happened. So yeah, there was voter suppression happening already before. And you saw the lines were long lines. And now they're like, you're not going to have fun in those lines. No more. We don't want any more of that fun stuff. It's like, what? Another thing the, uh, the bill does is it, um, takes power uh, for oversight of the elections from the Secretary of State and moves it to the legislature. In other words, so the Secretary of State no longer has the power to certify elections, raising the possibility that, like, you know, a, a Democratic candidate winning an election in Georgia may just not be certified. Like, they would, they would just investigate it, I guess, until it just goes away and disappears. Make and it just make sense. a lot of really, really, really troubling stuff that seems that is obviously a response to uh, the recent Democratic wins. Now you're starting to see um, some calls for boycotts. The MLB Players Union uh, executive Tony Clark has said that the uh, union would. Uh, open discussions to moving the MLB All-Star Game from Atlanta. Uh, I, I, we should note that it's just discussions about having discussions. Nobody yeah. has, has yet moved towards let's pull the game out. It's, hey, let's talk about whether we should talk about moving the game out. So we're hoping that that, uh, that moves on. Um, of course, there is, um, there's been calls to boycott Coca-Cola. Georgia has a really robust um tax break for the film industry thus far we've only seen uh, director james mangold who directed ford versus ferrari also uh, directed logan we've only seen him say that uh he would not do any movies in georgia right, the, the yeah. city like the the rebates that they have there are are really big so it's significant um among among the productions that are that have been shot in in Georgia for just the TV side, you've got like Atlanta, Stranger Things, Ozark, uh, The Walking Dead. You get a twenty percent tax credit for filming in Georgia if you put the Georgia Peach logo on. Yeah. Just putting the Georgia Peach logo on that gives you ten percent on top of that. The city also offers um, a ten percent rebate on on qualified spending in the area plus. Uh, they cover $2,000 in moving expenses per household for crew members that have to relocate to the city. Um, so it's no wonder that a lot of productions uh, uh, end up filming there. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. Like, what do you think in terms of like boycotts, in terms of uh, of of productions pulling out? Like, what what do you think these corporations and these brands and these various productions should do? Like whose lead should they follow when trying to figure out uh, what their engagement should be with the state of Georgia? Yeah, they should follow their moral compass. And I know that sounds crazy, but like, I think that we all, like, for instance, the NBA right. moved the 2017 all-star game out of Charlotte in protest of North Carolina, so-called bathroom bill, which discriminated against transgender people. The NFL stripped down the 93 Super Bowl from Phoenix after the Arizona voters rejected propositions, but about MLK junior day, 
what they should do is apply that pressure. And what that pressure is, is the money that you talked about. Imagine if the film industry, Atlanta talks about, like you can just hear the chatter in Atlanta all the time talking about how big the film industry is, is growing. Like every month, something else is being filmed. Every, you hear about new things happening here in Georgia every year. So does the Georgia government want to slow that down? I know that's a big money maker. So it's going to take things like the MLB, not just having discussions about having discussions, but actually having discussions about what are we going to do here? Because if you start to allow the faucet to drip, it's going to start really leaking. And so you want to nip things off at the bud so that Georgia government in general can understand that, hey, what happened this last election was not a fluke. We do want things to change here. Don't try to slide bills under under the nose and think that it's going to be okay. Like, I think people have to really take a stance. Yes. Uh, so for things like boycotts, which... Uh, you know, if not done in a kind of like surgical and precise and knowledgeable way can end up hurting the people you're trying to help. Uh, We want to follow the lead of organizations on the ground, local organizations like Fair Fight and people like Stacey Abrams, who are uh, directly involved in organizing in the state of Georgia. And we want to make sure that the the actions, whatever actions are taken, don't end up hurting the people that, uh, that we want to help. It feels like people are really paying attention this time. And, you know, usually like the cadence of politics is the national elections come around and people pay attention and then they happen. And then people kind of go like, okay, now I'm going to go back to my life. And they, and they, and they check out. Um, I'm thinking specifically about the response to, so Delta airlines based in Georgia um, released a statement that was a pretty positive towards the bill basically saying uh, something to the effect of this law uh, fostering a balanced approach and, uh, you know, it's supporting fair elections. They actually uh, are put forth that this bill, it was somehow expanding access to voting. And, and then I saw a lot of people uh, say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to boycott Delta. It makes, you know, I, yeah. what do you make of this? Like I, this was, I was surprised. So, Jason, it broke my heart. It broke my heart because just if you live in the Atlanta area, you see the billboards, you see the stance that Delta has taken during the whole movement. You know, Delta made sure that the community in Atlanta, whether it's with advertisements, billboards on the highways, you could just see it all over. They made sure that you knew where they stood when it came to do Black Lives Matter or not. They made sure you knew the answer was yes. And so then to see them follow up what I think was a great promotional campaign, because I believe, you know, like I said, it broke my heart. I am Team Delta. I usually tell people when I fly, like, yeah, I only fly Delta. Like I tell people that are booking me because I really enjoy Delta and not just that. Delta actually stopped working with the Atlanta Dream this past season because they didn't think that our previous ownership's views aligned with theirs. So for them to even do that and, again, further show where they stand when it came to the movement, I'm seeing what's going on here, and I'm like, this has to be oversight. Like, yeah. This and then the statement came out, and it's like maybe we're they don't know what's in the in the bill, but I want I want Delta to figure it out because again, Delta has been an ally. And I, I say that and I always I never know what who, what Delta has donated in what different ways. But Delta has shown that they want to be an ally. And so I want them to show it more by 
fixing what they've done when it comes to SB202. Like SB202 is unacceptable. We know that. Delta knows that. So I think Delta has to just go back to being Delta. I don't know how this happened, but Delta needs to be Delta. I think one of the things that's, uh, that is not surprised me, but that uh, has struck me throughout all of this is, you know, after the election, after the presidential election, Georgia was at the foremost of, of everyone's minds, the topic of a lot of conversation because of the pressure put on uh, local reps there to, you know, uh, fudge election results and not certify stuff. And, uh, you know, the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, among, among others, spoke out really strongly about the pressure being put on them and how dangerous it was, it was and how, uh, you know, somebody could be uh, hurt or killed because of, like, the, the calls to delegitimize the election that took place there. And then you turn around and you look and a lot of these people who had spoke out so strongly against that pressure are the people who are supporting this bill, who are putting this bill through. Crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, they That's didn't want to go that far, but they do want to go pretty far in undermining democracy in the state of Georgia. Facts. And it's and it's interesting because if you're not paying close enough attention, yeah. that's how people get confused. You know, like, right. Jason, you're reading everything that comes across your, your desk and I'm reading different things, but if you just associate, oh yeah, he was the guy that did this, so let's follow him. That's yeah, where he's anti-Trump. That was good. <laughs> yeah, you see, but that's where it gets tricky. So right. that's why I always tell people everything I do is I tell people educate yourself. Like you can't just trust one source. Unfortunately, the media is always going to be a bias. There's usually a human writing whatever you're reading, so that comes with bias inside of it. So I never just read one thing, but I tell people they have to educate themselves because yeah, it gets tricky in these like it gets politics. There's there's a lot of there's a lot there, so you have to be educated. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, you know the way the Democrats are are trying to fight this is with federal legislation, H.R. 1, the For the People Act. It would uh, put in place voter protections that would override state-level voter suppression. It would end partisan gerrymandering. It's expand voting access through automatic voter registration, modernizing voter registration by requiring states to have online voter registration. It would expand early voting and vote by mail. It would do many, many, many things. Uh, this would likely mean, and we hope this would mean, reforming the filibuster, which is an outdated uh, Jim Crow era Senate rule that requires 60 votes for legislation to pass that empowers minority rule in this country. Of course, uh, Michelle Obama has an initiative uh, about this with uh, numerous uh Big names signed to it, many athletes as well, Chris Paul, Jason Tatum, Shaq. Uh, One of the things you can do to get involved uh, is by going to Vote Save America slash For the People. All the info there about HR1 and how you can be involved. Uh, Stay involved with this because uh, people are trying to take away uh, democracy. Stay engaged. In these communities and in the states uh, that helped swing the election for Joe Biden, can't let it happen. Stay with us because after the break, we got Taylor Rooks on the show to give us knowledge on the NBA, on the NBA bubble, and about her lived experience as a woman of color in journalism. Don't go anywhere. We are so excited to be joined now by an NBA journalist that's killing it in the game. She's a writer, host of Bleacher Reports, Take It There. So go find it online where she does some of the best interviews with NBA players. 
Oh, and by the way, she also lived in the NBA bubble for the summer. So you know we're about to talk about that. Taylor Rooks, welcome to Take Line. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh my, Jason, like, can I steal Renee and just have her be my hype woman? <laughs> Everywhere I go, that was amazing. No, thank you. That was so kind. I'm happy to be here with you guys. <laughs> Listen, I'm a fan. And so I want to just, that's why you're here. We're a fan. <laughs> yes. But I wanted to talk to you about starting out LaMarcus Aldridge, okay? Because we all saw it. The Nets, everyone's saying they chose violence. You're getting all the <laughs> Avengers together. All of this stuff, they're preparing for war. What, like, what are your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, I mean, well, I also agree they are choosing violence. Um, and I understand, obviously, that, you know, there's this whole narrative that's out there that, okay, all the Nats are joining up because they want to go and meet LeBron James. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's probably true, but that's also basketball, right? Like, the yeah. point of basketball is that you're compiling teams to beat the team that is perceived to be the best team. I think that, you know, we all saw it when everyone's mission was, how do you beat Stephen Curry and Golden State? Like, we yeah. have seen this happen multiple yeah. times, and I just think because it's happening, it's getting blown up. I love LaMarcus Aldridge. I think he's a great player, but I'm also like, dang, we going crazy over LaMarcus Aldridge. <laughs> I know, <laughs> get it I'm like I'm with it but I'm like yeah. I mean like hold on a minute you know so I think it's more what the LaMarcus Audridge signing does to yeah. the greater narrative of what's happening in Brooklyn yeah. um but I think it's fun I think that if the world was open right now Brooklyn would explode yeah. so it's nice it's nice to be in New York and hopefully you know the light is at the end of the tunnel where that day can come Please. Uh, you mentioned the greater narrative. It, it really feels like a lot of this, uh, the narrative around players moving, players teaming up is based on, you know, like a previous image in people's heads of the NBA where, you know, Larry Bird and, and Mikhail, they just stayed with the Celtics and yeah. Michael Jordan never mm -hmm. did. He never moved anywhere. And Magic Johnson never moved anywhere. Um, what do you make of this uh, this current era of the NBA where players have a lot more ability to move? Is it is it bad? Is it different than what we've seen before? Yeah, I mean, I do believe it's a little different. Um, mm -hmm. But I will never forget once I saw this quote and someone said, you use basketball. Don't let basketball use you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of this era you know that we're entering now where it's like yeah like players are kind of realizing that they are the asset you know they're the commodity they they have a lot of the power and if they are at a place they no longer want to be they're like i know i can bully my way out of yeah. here and granted i see the cons of that too right but i do think that it's it's kind of it's like two sides of the same, same coin i guess but i think that's just kind of where we're at now and i don't just don't necessarily think like it's a bad thing it's just different because I bet if you talk to some of those players you just named, if they had the ability to maybe do that at right. that time, they probably would have. You know, we pick the choices that are available to us. Right. So at those times, if it was available, they probably would have done it. And But it's just a different day and age. And I think that sports and also ownership and players should evolve through time. Right. Just because. That's the way something always has been doesn't mean that's the way that it has to be. So I like this new dynamic. I read a really interesting article, I think 
maybe today or yesterday, I can't remember. Uh, I think it was Howard Beck talking about how, you know, this is just always going to be about the rich getting richer. Because mm. when these players do decide to go places, they want to go to the big markets. Yeah. So yeah. when are we ever going to see a time where like, I don't know, like a Sacramento is good and wins it all. Like, it feels like it's always going to be these larger markets. And I think that that might create a, a really bad imbalance. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about that evolution, right, where players are now, you said, don't let basketball use you, use basketball. So I think that really started to become a thing, even not just last summer before that, but last summer, you really start to you started to see the athletes kind of figure out their voice figure out that power collectively, you know, in the bubble when the season shut down because the players decided that the season was going to stop for a second. Um, Can you just talk about, you were in the bubble during that time Mm -hmm. frame. It's historical, you know, and a lot of people had so many questions about, well, why didn't the NBA bubble up this year? If it was so successful last year, why didn't they do it again? But I know from talking to some of my homies that the bubble situation is just not the most ideal. It was very stressful, mm-hmm. um, along with going on with all the civil unrest. So can you just talk about what it was like being in the bubble? Like, what was some of your biggest surprises working in the bubble? Yeah. The stress level? No, for sure. You know, I think it's so funny, you know, how there was this contingent of Twitter that was like, well, y'all just need to be in the bubble for an entire season. It's like, how can you so flippantly tell other human beings that they need to be locked in Orlando for so many months? Like, that's hard for any human to do. And even when I was just talking to a lot of players, they were having a lot of like mental issues just as far as being here, not being able to leave, not seeing your family, living in this place that is 24-7 basketball. Also going to the pool and not even be able to have an escape because you're seeing like the guy you're playing next week. Like it was just basketball all the time. And I mean, Renee, you know, one of the great things about being in this like very immersive career is you're able to check in and out, you know, like you probably feel very rejuvenated when you can go and be with your family. You feel rejuvenated when you can go to like your favorite restaurant with your friends. Like that's a big part of it. And that just wasn't the case in the bubble. Um, Now, granted, some players loved it, right? I know like Kimba Walker, for example, loved the bubble. He's like, I don't leave my home anyway. If I'm just like in a hotel and like basketball. Hello, it's me. Maybe it's a UConn thing because Yeah, yeah. Hey, I don't know, but yeah, it's a UConn thing. We survive stores so we can stay anywhere, okay? (laughs) You're like, hey, I'm in a stores, I'll take it. But yeah, Kimba loved it. Uh, I remember even when I was, I had interviewed Chris Paul for my GQ article and he was like, there, for me, were a lot more happy times than Bad. You know, people mm. were reunited with friends that had meant a lot to them in their lives. So it was different, but it was a different experience for every single person. And that to me was the most important thing to show is like it was just a myriad of different emotions. Some loved it, some didn't. Some felt like they were disconnected from all the civil unrest that was happening and wanted to be there. Some just wanted to leave. Some wanted to leave but were thinking about the money they lose. Like yeah. every single player had an entirely different experience. It wasn't just like a monolith because they're all in the NBA. So it was interesting, a very interesting like social experiment uh, in Orlando. Renee mentioned uh, that the bubble was historical. That's something that really stands out to me is, you know, as we as we move on, knock on wood, past this time in, in our history and move past this, uh, we're going to look back and, and at certain things and 
really kind of appreciate like how uh, landmark they were. I think the bubble is one of those things. That's this, even if you're not a sports person, this will be something that will be talked about and studied as a response yeah. as part of the globe's response to this, you know, COVID-19 virus. What, when you think about your own uh, role in the bubble and being there, what are the things that stand out to you as, as just something you, you won't forget? Yeah. uh, I mean, so many things. I always tell people like, I feel like this is my only time in life that I was a part of a first and an only, you know, like in years to come, there is such this like finite amount of people that can tell you what the bubble was like. And to be, you know, one of the vehicles to like tell that story is something that I really cherish. And I'm super thankful that I had the opportunity to be there for multiple reasons because of that, but also because it was super important to have Black media in that bubble, especially with everything that was going on at that time, which is really everything that's been going on for all of time. But you need to have, you know, Black media in there to ask questions. And I think it's also good for the players to see Black media there because there's just like an instant familiarity that you get when you see somebody that looks like you. You just like inherently feel like they understand you and what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... To me, that's a very big part of the connection that comes with questions, answers, and interviewing in general. So that sticks out to me that I was able to be one of those voices and one of those people that could tell a story that I lived my whole life, you know? So so that sticks out to me. Obviously, when the Bucks decided not to play, that's the main yeah. thing that really comes to my mind, just being out there like we're courtside, clock hits zero, nothing is happening. So everyone- yeah. here, rushes to the back. We're like, what's going on? We're sitting down for like four hours. Like literally we're all sitting outside of that locker room for four hours. The media staff asked if we wanted food, water, like, and we were just getting bits of information here and there. We were told the books weren't going to talk, but obviously we still all stay just in case something happened. Then we were told they were going to talk. So we stayed longer Then you know, George Hill comes out, he gives a statement. Like that was one of the moments in my life that like, it felt as heavy as it actually was. Like you felt like you were in this really crazy, important moment. You know, a lot of times you're in these moments, but it doesn't hit you till later. But yeah. at that time I was like, we're stopping basketball and we're here for it. <laughs> for and racism. Yeah, yeah, like we doing it. Like, let's go, y'all. We leaving the bubble. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like literally so into the cause. I'm like, yes. Um, and so, and then it was just crazy because it was like this domino effect. You know, we just saw so many yeah. things happen in so many yeah. sports and not just, well, you know, with the NBA teams that were in the bubble. So yeah, it was a, it was super interesting, a uh, little two and a half months for me. And I got poked in the nose more times than I can even count. So I remember that too. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> that's okay. testing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You better reference that. I was yeah. about to say, hold on, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, someone was like getting my booger out. now. <laughs> and I also, it started off so shaky for me because my first test that I took in the bubble, I mean, like I land, I get to the hotel, we quarantine for seven days, but the, I land and take a test it is a false positive. So oh they call gosh. me and tell me like, you have COVID. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm gonna yeah, need I'm to tell them you don't have COVID. Like, I'm gonna need y'all to run that back because I got tested like every day before I went, you know. But yeah, so it started off crazy, got all those tests, then obviously we're tested every day. So you felt super safe in the bubble. So I'm I'm happy for the experience. Well, you talked about something though, Taylor. You said that you know, it was important to have black media there, not due to just that climate, but for all climate, that's important. I I understand this because I'm a woman covering the NBA, but what is it like being a black woman in media, especially at the highest level? Like, you know, you're covering all of NBA. I'm covering the Hawks. There's not very many of us. What is it like being, you know, one of the, one of the few? You said talking about the only and the few. What is it yeah. like being one of the few? No, absolutely. I mean... And I know, you know, it's like there are so many great things about it, right? And I always try my best because I think it's important that when we do talk about, you know, our Blackness or being women, that I try to lead with the amazing things about it, right? Because I feel like so many other people try to paint it as all negative. Like this experience is terrible. It's like, I don't want to be anything other than a Black woman. It is a thing I cherish the most in my life. I feel like I am defined by it. I think I draw a lot of my strength and positive qualities from being both of those things. So there's obviously, you know, really great things about it. But you're also in rooms as the only person. And that doesn't always feel good. A lot of the times that feels very lonely, right? Like nobody else here like really understands or has had experiences that I have had. Um, I think that Black women in media are incredibly over-sexualized. I think that that is probably one of the biggest problems that is out there. Uh, I think that so many times our worth is determined by things that are not our work, um, which is a big issue as well. Um, but with all that being said, I feel like we have a major responsibility. Like I said, there has to be somebody there to ask the questions and somebody there that understands. I also believe there has to be a number of us that can like get through this so that eventually people don't have to, you know, I think all of those things play a big role as like why we're doing this and why we have to keep doing it. You know, even when it's the days that are really sucky, like it's important that we continue pushing through and telling stories and like shining light on things that matter, but also like have fun, you know, like it's very important. Oh, you already know. Yeah. Like that fun to me is like an act of resistance in so many ways. Doing good work is like an act of resistance in so many ways. Just, your presence and existence today is an act of resistance. And it's, I just try to kind of tell myself that every day that all of this is for something, you know, adds up to something. I completely agree. For me personally, like I actually haven't, like my hardest experiences that I've had is is getting the opportunities. You know, like I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people think Mm -hmm. being a black woman in media, I deal with like a lot of like people coming down on me or coming hard on me. It's not that. It's it's the fact that like I, with my basketball resume, had I been an NBA player, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have had to do as many cold calls or mm-hmm. send out as many emails just to get that opportunity. So for me, I just think like, yes, when you're in the door, it's great. Like once you get the gig, they yeah. treat you a certain way. For me personally, they've treated me a certain way once I've gotten the gig. But for me, the big difference is getting that gig, getting totally. those opportunities yeah. with my, you know, just just getting in the door. So once you get there, yeah, it's like I have fun with it because I know 
this is, you know, this is the highest level in sports. So yeah, it's just that getting your foot in the door, I think is where it's a Mm -hmm. hard, it's hard for a lot of women. Yeah. And I think that speaks to a problem of the system, right? That the people that are making these hiring decisions, the people that, you know, have positions of authority tend to be white people, white men, men, and you almost like subconsciously are hiring those that you see yourself in. So if you, you're not going to see yourself in the black woman or maybe even a woman. So, so much of it starts like top down. There has to be people that are in those positions that if they are those categories, they understand the importance of diversity and why diversity actually makes your content and your place better. It's not just about hiring someone because they are black or Asian or Hispanic or a woman. It's because when you add all of that, it actually improves your place of work. Like it's not just about checking off a box. Like there are numerous studies that show it is something that helps. So you need people in those positions that get that and understand that they have to open their doors to everyone. You We have to change the systems. That's why yeah. I tell people it's the systems that are the issue. Speak to that because there, you know, I, I'm sure that all of us have been in uh, situations where you've heard conversations or heard deliberations. And it always feels like in a lot of instances that it's so easy to say, well, okay, but the best candidate, we're going to go with the best candidate. And that's very often not going to be uh, the candidate who is diverse because, oh, well, this person has uh, all of this experience and they've worked at all of these places and this person doesn't have that kind of resume. Um, It often seems like you have to ask people to do a little extra work on their end in order to make that leap to to, uh, really embrace diversity. How do you get people in charge to make that leap and to not just say, well, yeah. you know, if you look at the, if you actually look at the resume, it's, uh, this is the best candidate. It's not always the case. Yeah. And I mean, it's so funny that whenever something like that happens, you're right. Everybody's like, well, there weren't enough qualified, you know, diverse candidates, blah, blah. I'm like, but y'all hire the same people over yeah. and over. Like, even when you think about, you know, NBA coaches or like NFL coaches, they are Y'all hiring are the same people yeah. that lost somewhere else. <laughs> so yeah. are they even the best candidate? You know, like, what are we doing here in terms of in terms of the best candidate? Like, you aren't giving anybody the chance to prove that they maybe are better than the person that essentially failed at whatever place mm-hmm. they were. And you're giving them another chance to maybe fail a little better. Right. So I think it's like recognizing that you're falling into these patterns yeah. Um that are very intentional, right? Like there are things set up to create this very insulated top environment. You know, if you can't get a job unless you have the opportunity, but you also can't get the opportunity, what you are doing is perpetuating a system (laughs) that only gives people who receive opportunities more opportunities. It's like how everybody had, you know, that debate about unpaid internships. It's like, First off, why would we advocate for anybody to not get paid? Like, I'm never going to stand on the hill and be like, work and don't get paid. Like, that is not a thing that I am going to to champion. But it's crazy. Like, I I read Michelle Obama's book, which is so good. And one thing that she talks about in it, she's like, I'm very special. 
but I'm special in the way that every single person is special. I just had different choices and I had different opportunities. Mm. So everything is environment and you take the choices that are given to you. So there has to be a way to give better choices and equal choices to all people and not just the people that already are privileged or, or live in a place, you know, where they can take whatever is given to them. So I think so much of it is really just creating uh, good choices uh, for all people. Ooh, she is the host of Take It There on Bleacher Report. Y'all got to go check it out because if you hear her talking right now, she talks on the on, <laughs> on her show as well. I talk I'm just too much. Go check I it talk out. Much. No, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us here on Take Line. Thank you. I had so much fun. This like revived my day. So I appreciate you guys having me. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, all the things. Bye, Taylor. Oh, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Taylor. We'll be right back after the break. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And now, welcome to Take Survivor, the game where only the strongest take prevails. Three rounds. Each round, our contestants are asked a question, and the contestants themselves. Vote to see who is eliminated at the end of each round until only one take survives. Today, joining us on the take island, we have one half of Titus and Tate, Tate Frazier. Tate, how are you? Oh, I'm fired up, Jason. This music's got me going. I'm ready for the takes. This is is the time. Also joining us, producer of this very podcast, Carlton Gillespie. Carlton, how are you? I'm here and ready to win, Jason. Whoa. Also joining us, also a producer on this podcast, owner of some of the worst takes that have ever been seen by the world, Elijah Cohen. Elijah, good morning to you, sir. Thanks, Jason. I'm hoping to not just survive, but thrive. (laughs) And finally, of course, one half of the Take Line podcast hosting team, a two-time WNBA champion, Renee Montgomery. Renee, how you feeling? 
I'm feeling great, Jason. I need you to start keeping track of how many take survivors I've won. <laughs> Put it in the notes, Jason, for next time. Woo! <laughs> okay, here we go. We have our contestants. <laughs> and here is our first prompt. Round one. Who is the best fictional basketball player? Who is the best fictional basketball player? Carlton, let's start with you. Who's the best fictional basketball player? The best fictional basketball player is Jamal Wallace from Finding Forrester. Uh, this is, he would have been one of the stars in the NBA no, right now. Dog. One of one of the smarter players, uh, prep players in high school sports. Um, and uh, yeah, he shot 50 free throws in a row in that uh, infamous practice against that light-skinned dude that I don't remember his name. So Jamal Wallace finding Forrester. Wow. Jamal Wallace finding Forrester. Next, Renee Montgomery. Who is the best fictional basketball player? <laughs> I'm going with Aaron Carter. He has a song talking about how he beat Shaq. How many people can say that they beat Shaq? Shaq was dominant. And then he said, I swear that I'm telling you the facts. So now we don't even have to fact check it. He already told us it happened. Shaq was even in the video. So if it was a lie, Shaq would have stopped him. Name someone on your list that can beat Shaq. My guy's done it. Can yours? Wow. Wow. Ray Montgomery coming in extremely hot with Aaron Carter beating Shaq. Elijah Cohn. Elijah Cohn, who do you have as the best <laughs> fictional basketball player? I'm not going to lie. I misread this question. Uh, and <laughs> said it was just going to be a fictional person who could be a basketball player, but that wasn't necessarily. So I'm going to have to change my answer last minute to Arnold from Hey Arnold. He had the zen. Mm. He had the swag. Oh. He had the Rick Barry foul shot. He taught the coach's son how to play in that episode. He was an all-attitude guy. And he's just the most likable of those original 90s uh, Nickelodeon characters. So last minute, Arnold from Hey Arnold. Wow. The titular Arnold. That's Elijah Cohn's answer. And finally, Tate Frazier. Who is the best fictional basketball player? Tate. Ooh, pressure's on, Jason. I know you and I have talked about this uh, for a long yeah. time, and it would be, you know, Billy Hoyle, Sidney Dean is usually the right answer. But for me, I'm going cartoon. I'm going the thing that motivated me as a kid. Sky Davis from Doug, based on Michael <laughs> Jordan. Wow. If, you if you had the Air Jets, wow. you know what it really is. And, uh, of course, Doug and, uh, you know, Sky Davis get together at the end of the episode. Sky Davis says, I don't even wear the Air Jets. He signs Doug's shoes for him. Doug goes and dunks from the free throw line in his dreams at the end of the day. Sky Davis. Sky Davis. Wow. Okay, that is uh, first round in. Let's begin our voting. Just to remind you now, our contestants will be voting to see who is eliminated. Voting begins now. We had Carlton Gillespie with Jamal Wallace from Finding Forge. You're the man now, dog. He helped... He helped uh, bring some light into a forgotten author's life. Renee Montgomery with Aaron Carter. Oh, my God. Aaron so good. Carter. <laughs> Schooling Shaq in the video. An incredible pick by Renee Montgomery. Elijah Cohen uh, called an audible. Had Arnold from Hey Arnold. Rick Berry granny shot. And then Tate Frazier with Sky Davis from Doug. The Air Jets. Of course, Sky Davis uh, patterning his game 
after Michael Jordan's <laughs> Tate Frazier staying incredibly on brand <laughs> with the Tar Heel. Votes starting to come in now. What do we have? Let's see. First, we have one vote for Renee Montgomery, someone not a fan of Aaron Carter, maybe more a fan of Nick Carter. Wow. We have one vote for Carlton Gillespie. Wow. Jamal Wallace, not a lot of fans of the Finding Forrester movie. Uh, one more vote for Carlton Gillespie. What? Mm. And our final... <laughs> And our final vote and our first elimination, Carlton Gillespie's Jamal Wallace not finding a lot of fans out here on Take Survivor Island. Oh, unbelievable. Carlton, you are eliminated. Uh, do you have anything to say? Uh, yeah, I just want to say that I think I was unfairly judged. And the fact that the judging took so long makes mm. me think something mm. weird was going on. So that's just oh. me. Ooh, Carlton Gillespie's out. Carlton Gillespie is out. Did he just try to pull a fraud? Yes, he really on did. Our show? He tried to. He tried to stop the steal. He stop the count. And he's the producer. <laughs> he he tried to stop the steal. Unbelievable. Moving on to round two. Here we go. Round two. Are you ready? Round two. Question: Who is the worst D one mascot? The worst Division one. College mascot Tate Frazier. Who is the worst D1 mascot? Well, Jason, the answer is pretty simple for me. It is Larry Bird's alma mater, the team that went to the 1979 NCAA <laughs> title game. Your Indiana State Sycamores, originally the Indiana State Fighting Ooh. Teachers. Uh, they were they changed their name because they changed from a teacher's college, and the school was asked who should be the mascot. They voted as a joke for the Sycamores, and it has stuck ever since. And uh, Indiana State, the Sycamores, that is my pick. Tate Frazier with the Sycamores. Mm. Mm. Renee Montgomery, to you. What is the worst D1 mascot? Renee Montgomery. Well, this was a hard one because there's a lot of bad mascots, but I'm going to go with Delta State University. Do you guys know what their mascot is? Of course you don't. It's fighting okra. First of all, <laughs> my vegetable list. Okra is not even the best vegetable out there. So if you want to fight with something, you need to fight with some heavy hitters like asparagus. Come on, somebody. Squash. You know what I mean? You need to fight with some good vegetables. If I got to fight, I ain't doing it with okra. Come on, Delta State. <laughs> wow. Shots at the fighting okras of Delta State. Love Elijah. It. Elijah Cohn, what is the worst D1 mascot? Guys, I've got a controversial take. It's a much beloved one. I'm going to have to go with the Georgia Bulldog. Mm. When you look what? at animals as mascots, look at the Colorado Buffs. Great mascot out on the field. Look at the Texas Longhorns. Great seeing mm. it out there. It just makes me sad every single time I see the dog. Makes me sad every single time I think about the breeding that it takes to get it there. And one word for all you uh, Bulldog defenders out there, adopt, please. Thank you. Visit a shelter. Oh. Wow. That is round two. Uh, that is round it. two completed. Let's move on to the voting. Uh, just to recap, we had Tate Frazier picking the Indiana Sycamores, formerly the Fighting Teachers. We, we love to fight for teachers. We don't necessarily want to see them fighting. Renee Montgomery, <laughs> the Delta State Fighting Okras. The Fighting Okras. Okra delicious. I love it as a side. Do I necessarily... <laughs> Uh, need it fighting for me? Not sure. Elijah Cohen, 
shocking choice. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. Everybody loves a bulldog. Who doesn't love a dog? Uh, the tenacity uh, that is kind of inherent in that metaphor. I didn't hate Elijah the reasoning, is, though. I will say is rejecting it on 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 breeding grounds. <laughs> wow. On breeding, rejecting it on, on the grounds that uh, what it takes to breed them is shocking. And we have the votes coming in. We have one vote for Elijah Cohen and Georgia Bulldogs rejecting that argument. We have two votes for Elijah Cohen for our second person eliminated from Take Survivor, Elijah Cohen. Elijah, uh, what do you have to say? Well, I'm not surprised, but I am disappointed. Uh, all I can say is uh, adopt, visit a shelter, and uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. It was just great to be here. It's just a pleasure to be uh, playing this late in March to be dancing. <laughs> and we move on to the finals. Now, just a reminder, uh, our contestants that have been evicted from the island, Carlton and Elijah, are sticking around. They will be voting in our final. It is Renee Montgomery versus Tate Frazier, and the question is... Ooh. Who is the best defensive basketball player ever in all of basketball? Draymond Green saying last week that it is himself. He is the greatest defensive basketball player ever. But is that true? Who is the best defensive basketball player ever? Renee Montgomery, we go to you first. Okay, so who I'm reading this as who has the best defense that's ever been a part of the NBA? That's true. And if I... If I read that correctly, I'm going to go with the late, great Commissioner David Stern. He blocked the Chris Paul trade. I think that was the defense that has ever happened in the league. The trade has never went through to this day. So imagine never getting scored on. It's never happened with Commissioner mm. David Stern. And so I'm going for him for the best ever. Mm. TBE. Wow, wow, wow. What, a, what an answer for Renee Montgomery, David Stern. <laughs> The late David Stern. The late great, I said. The late great David Stern, Tate <laughs> Frazier, who is the best defensive basketball player ever. Ooh, this is a really tough question. You know uh, the answer is supposed to be Bill Russell, right? That's what they tell you, Jason sure. Concepcion. But I have the Bill Russell of this era, a man I saw win five championships, a man who should have won six championships if he was in the game at the end of the game. His name is Tim Duncan. He should wow. have been Defensive Player of the Year in 2001, should have been Defensive Player of the Year in 2003, should have been Defensive Player of the Year in 2005, should have been Defensive Player of the Year in 2009, should have been Defensive Player of the Year in 2012, 2014, and 2016. Wow. One of the best help defenders the NBA has ever seen, yes. a guy who was the number one option, then by the end was the number five option. Not many people can do that in basketball. Not many people can accept different roles. Tim Duncan, the greatest defender we'll ever see. Wow, what an answer. And we go to our final an round answer. of voting. Now, for this, I must remind you, you are voting for the winner. You're not voting for who is limited. You are voting for the winner, Renee Montgomery, saying the late, great Commissioner David Stern is the greatest defender in basketball history. He, of course, nixed the uh, Chris Paul trade <laughs> as a co-owner of the <laughs> New Orleans Hornets and later Pelicans. Uh, he... Uh, put in the dress code rules in the wake of the malice of the palace defending the nba brand and then tate frazier coming with tim duncan tim duncan incredible career managed to transition through being 
one of the number one option, as he stated. And then as injuries and age began to take its toll, he still kept that effectiveness as one of the greatest defenders the league had at that time. Here we go. Votes coming in now. We have one vote for Renee Montgomery as the winner. Yes. One vote for Tate Frazier as the winner. Yes. Come on, guys. Another vote for Renee Montgomery. It's now two to one. Renee, oh, wow. the Tate Frazier final <laughs> vote coming in for our winner, Renee Montgomery. Oh. Let's go! <laughs> the answer, David Stern, Renee Montgomery. This is my fight. Renee, <laughs> what do you have to say? Congratulations. What I have to say is creativity is everything. So if you haven't noticed in this <laughs> pandemic era, it's about what you can create from nothing. I don't know about mascots. I don't even know all the stats that Tate said, but just be creative, kids. That's Don't let people yep. make you normal outside the box. Tate, an, an incredible showing. <laughs> uh, you came up short this time. Uh, any last any last words for the island? I know I know how Clay Aiken felt when he lost American Idol. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's okay to be number two. I'm from North Carolina. I told you I'd shout out North Carolina in some weird way at the end. There you go. The Clay Aiken <laughs> shout out. And, uh, but it was a lot of fun, guys. I love being on the show. Please have me back. And uh, I, I will keep listening and keep giving five-star reviews. I, I should point out that uh, with the Tim Duncan pick, uh, Wake Forest. Tate yes. managed to keep it all within yes. Carolina. Tate, thanks for joining us. And that has been Take Survivor for today. Yes, Tate! That's it for us this week. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Like and subscribe. Five-star ratings. We will accept nothing else. See you next week. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.